church, uh, always need a good worship. You know, whether you've had a, a, a great week or a long week, um, it's good to gather together as a church family. If you're visiting with us, welcome to our family. I hope you've been greeted. I hope somebody shook your hand and said hello to you. If you're new with us, um, welcome to our, our church. Um, we love God. We're not perfect, uh, but we, we love coming together to worship. I'm going to ask you a question. What is one of uh, the best fiction books that you've ever read? Okay, one of the best fiction books you've ever read. You, you picked up a book. You're like, man, this is a great story. I can't read to read it. Maybe it's a good mystery. Maybe it's a romance. Maybe it's just an adventurous story. And uh, for some of you, you're not book readers. Maybe you are movie watchers. Okay, so what you just substitute that in, whichever one, book or movie. Um, but you enjoy relaxing getting away from the normalcy of your routine and saying, I'm going to pick up a good book or I'm going to watch a movie. Okay, everybody got in mind when they're going to watch? All right, good. Now here's the thing. You start watching it and it's nice to pull away from the reality of the world and everything that's going on and sort of get into this story. It's like, what if? What's going to happen? Because especially if you've never seen it before. Forget the movies that you've watched 20 times that you can repeat half the lines, okay? This is new. You have no idea how it's going to end. And as you journey, you start to guess, and you start to assume, I think it might end this way. I think this might happen. But here's the thing. No matter how great of a guesser you are or how much you think you can figure things out, you don't know until that last chapter or the last few pages of the book or the last few minutes of the movie to really get the true ending of the story. That's the way it works, right? Well, we don't know the end until you get there. And that's what I want to emphasize today before we get into God's Word. The same can be said of discussing heaven. You can gather all the theologians you want. Men of God who have studied God's Word, professors, teachers, pastors, people from all ends of the earth. They will share what they've discovered in God's Word. Making some very educated points and some very qualified um, remarks and comments and, and truthful things. But after listening to them, you can't help but agree on what they're saying because they're so convincing, right? But here's the thing we have to remember. We are human. Our knowledge is limited. We don't know it all. We don't have it all. God doesn't and hasn't fully revealed everything there is to know about heaven. So as we talk about heaven, we won't know what heaven is going to be exactly like until we get there. That's the way it works. So every question that we have about heaven and hell, we don't have the time to answer that all we need. And nor is there enough evidence to fully and accurately say this is 100% guaranteed the answer. What we have, what we know, has been passed down and historically recorded through God's word. And this we believe to be true. And of course, when you take that, as we said last week, and you throw in the various opinions of very educated people, along with people who maybe don't have an education as far as studying God's Word, but what they've discovered, we understand that what we know to be about heaven is faulty sometimes. So I want you to consider what you know to be true about heaven, and I want you to think about this, okay? Many of you have heard about the the hurricane that went... uh, hitting Hawaii. And uh, let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud, but do you believe that something terrible happened in Hawaii this past week? And if I asked you to answer out loud, you'd probably all say, yes, we believe that this has happened in Hawaii. 
Let me ask you this. Have you personally seen that you've been there? You've seen the damage. You've experienced the winds and the, and the rains and the flooding. Have you touched it? You'd probably say no. Have you talked with survivors? You talked to them on the phone. Most of you would probably say no. But maybe you saw the interviews. You've seen the pictures like we have up here on the screen. You've heard the reports. And be, but because of the reports, because of the pictures, because of the things we've heard, we believe this to be 100% true, right? What I'm getting at is the same thing can be said of heaven. We don't have actual eyewitness standing here today. We've not been to heaven. Yet we've heard reports and stories and we've been given images of, of what heaven is like. So these reports have been recorded in God's word and this is what we study. The, the most accurate ancient of writings is the Bible. And so as I approach this sermon, um, I, I'm going to go back to maybe somewhat of what I said last week, but say it again. I, I approach this with humility and saying, I don't have all the answers. I, I approach this sermon with, with knowledge uh, that the debate over various factors and the timing of events and the end times and, and studying that. I approach this sermon with caution and care because I don't want to add to the Bible. Revelation chapter 22 talks about doing that and it's not a good thing. I approach though this sermon with, with confidence and, and hope and knowing that what I share with you, I fully believe to be true. And finally, I approach this sermon, this subject, giving you only a glimpse of what we could talk about. And I'm not giving uh, time or attention to every single detail or event. So you may say, well, what about, what about? We just didn't get there today. Okay. So in preparation, what I did was obviously picked up God's word, right? I told you this is where we start. But I also picked up two more books uh, that I've been reading over the past uh, month uh, by two authors who are great men of God, who have been studied well in God's scripture and his word and worked with theologians and professors and had them cross-check everything and they worked together uh, to produce two great books that I fully trust. And I went through those as well as then going through scripture. And a lot of my scripture that I read was through the book of Matthew. Um, Matthew, especially because it speaks of judgment and eternal matters over 74 times in just that small book. Isn't that amazing? It seems that about every other time Jesus taught, he was included a warning about this is what the kingdom of God was going to be like. And he would go on to teach. So while we learn uh, and, and know to be true, all there is that we can from God's word about heaven and hell, we're only going to get a glimpse of it. And here's the thing. If we could truly grasp the horror and the reality of what hell is, we would never tell people to go there and we would do everything in our power to keep people from going there. We would in turn also share about the most glorious place that's ever been prepared for us, those who have placed their faith in a faithful God, and that is heaven. A place prepared for you and me. A place where we're in the, in the permanent presence of God. Heaven. And it's not just a fire escape, like I want to get out of going to hell, so I'll, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus so I can go to heaven. And it's not just a place where I want to go see loved ones that, that have gone before me that have died. It's a place where we're seeing our Redeemer, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and being in the presence of God, as we established last week. We know this, that according to God's word, and again, this is scripture from last week, John chapter 14, verse 6, says this, it's up on the screen, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. There's no other way to heaven. 
And it sounds, I don't know, like very arrogant as Christians to proclaim that, but we proclaim what Jesus proclaimed to be true. I'm not boasting in what I'm saying. I'm boasting in Jesus Christ and what he has said. He is the way. He is the truth. He is alive. No one gets to heaven. No one goes under the Father except through him. That's why we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So we have in our hands, right before you, hopefully all of you are holding this in your hands right now. We're going to open up to a passage very soon. If you don't have a Bible, we can bring one to you. Maybe you've got it, excuse me, on your phone. By the way, you have in your hands from Genesis to Revelation. You have what began in the Garden of Eden, perfection. And at the end of the Bible, we've got Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. And in between the Garden of Eden and the new heaven and new earth, we've got a big mess, don't we? And God explains how to get through this mess and, and survive spiritually to where you're in that presence of God eternally. We know that God's original plan was for mankind to enjoy a, a relationship with the God of this universe. We get that. But then sin enters the world and messes up that relationship. So from that sinful life, we need to find new life in Christ. And what happens as we read through the Bible is there's this obedience to God, then there's this disobedience, and then there's this punishment, and then there's this repentance. I'm sorry, God. And then I'm going to start obeying you, God. But then we disobey and we mess up and punishment. That cycle just keeps going through the whole scriptures. But what we find out is at the end... The next thing that happens to us through that cycle is one of two things. We die or Jesus Christ returns. There's a series of events which is highly debated, not so much in nature, but in the timing in God's word. And and these are the things, the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation uh, in which the wrath of God is poured out, and then the millennial reign of of Jesus Christ, the thousand-year reign. Now, those things are all agreed upon. These things happen, but how they happen and so forth is somewhat debated among theologians and the timing. But our focus is not on those events or their timing. Our focus this morning is the point of death. When we die, what happens to the point of our new heaven and new earth? It seems like something we all want to know. So this morning, what I'm going to talk about is from when we die, this point to the new heaven and new earth, we're going to call it paradise as scripture calls it. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Jesus Christ is is hanging on the cross. You remember there's a thief on one side who mocked Jesus, and there's a thief on the other side who confessed to Jesus. And in that moment of confession and repentance, Jesus Christ turned to that thief and said, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. We believe that those who place their faith in Jesus Christ are with him in paradise. That's what we believe. Paradise is is a Persian word. Um, It meant garden or park. It was an enclosed garden area. It was beautiful, luxurious garden. It was often found in the uh, royalty in ancient times. But it's also referred to in Genesis chapter 2 as the Garden of Eden, paradise. It also then became to a type of future bliss for God's people. When you look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 51, in that passage, it represents a state of bliss which Jesus promised, who? That criminal on the cross. So we see that this word is used again when Paul shares an experience. And that's what I'm going to have you turn to right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So in your Bibles, go to the New Testament. Go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, Romans, and you get to the book of Corinthians. There's two of them there. Go to 2 Corinthians. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, as a, before I start to read this, understand that although some ancient Jewish uh, rabbis, uh, they believe that the third heaven had different levels of heaven. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is using terminology that was common in that day. When we look in the Bible and we see it talks about heaven. Theologian uh, Clark and many others agree in this and saying the sacred writings in the Bible, you see three heavens mentioned. The first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heaven is the starry skies that, that we look up and see the heavens. The third heaven is in which the abode in which God lives. That's what Paul is referring to here. The place of the blessed, the throne of the divine glory. So let's read starting in chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, in other words, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. Verse 2, we grow weary in our present bodies. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, some of you must be in top shape because I know that I get weary in my body. Okay, we grow weary in our present bodies and we will not be spirits without bodies. We'll put on new heavenly bodies. Are you hearing what's happening? Somebody's like, what happens to me when I die? You're getting a lot of it right now in this. Verse 4, our dying bodies make us groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and have no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by everlasting life. God himself has prepared for us a guarantee that is, I'm sorry, God himself has prepared for us this as a guarantee and has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, I just got done reading this and some of you are saying, Rex, you read out of the wrong chapter. And I did because I got excited because that's the next thing I was going to read. <laughs> I was so fired up to read that scripture. So now let me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You see my face is as red as the screen. Now anyway, okay. I'm so excited to read to that. I'll come back to that in a second, okay? All right. First, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. This boasting is all so foolish, but let me go on. Let me tell you about the visions and revelations I received from the Lord. Have I told you this morning that welcome to our church, we are not perfect here? Okay, reading on. Verse 2. I was caught up in the third heaven. That third heaven, remember we talked about? We've got the atmosphere, we've got the starry skies, then we have the abode in which God lives. That's what Paul's saying. Fourteen years ago, he says, whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know. Only God knows. Did you get that? Even Paul, who was taken into this vision and had this moment of being in the presence of God, he goes, I, I can't even explain it. All I know is that God knows. Look at verse 4. But I do know this. I was caught up in the paradise. And I heard things so astounding. They cannot be told. These things about heaven are just indescribable. Paul is caught there, has his vision. He's experiencing the throne of God, just as Isaiah did in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, just as John did in the book of Revelation. And he's excited and he identifies this third heaven as what? Paradise. And that, that's why I say we only know so much that we can't fully express and verbalize what's being taught here. Matter of fact, there's other scriptures we put up on the screen that confirm this. Mark Chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus is talking to religious leaders about life after death and divorce and remarriage and all that. And they have questions about heaven. Jesus says, your mistake is this. You don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. See, here's our problem. We try to understand what's going on in the future, which we've never been to before. And if we don't know the scriptures, we don't know the power of God, we will have no clue what's going to happen. 
And even then, when we have that glimpse, we're still short of what we need to know. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. If I were to ask you this morning, do you love God? Say, yeah, I love God, but you probably don't love him like you love somebody sitting next to you because you can't see, touch, or feel God, right? But for those of us who say we love God, guess what it says here? It says, no eye has seen, no ears heard. We can't even imagine what God has prepared for us. We can't imagine what God has in store for us in the new heaven and new earth. All right, until then, God's spirit comforts us and guides us. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay. Turn a couple pages back. That's where I was reading. In this, in this scripture, Paul says this about eternity as well. As he talks about our new bodies and the new clothing. Verse 5, God himself, he's prepared us for this. Listen very carefully. And as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. Read on to verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies... We're not at home with the Lord. That's why we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we'd be at home with the Lord. Paul gets excited as he's talking about what happens when we die in our new bodies, and he talks about the Holy Spirit coming, and he says, listen, when life gets hard, it's very easy to take comfort in a heavenly destiny. God knew this. So he gives us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. I need that. You need that. You will have days, maybe a week, maybe a season where things just go bad. And you need that guarantee that it's going to be okay. Don't you? I look back in the last 48 hours of my own personal life, and it was like a roller coaster that made Cedar Point look like a McDonald's playland. You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those, whoo, whoo, whoo. And I was like, you know what gives me comfort in those moments? Eternity. Knowing that there's a God who loves me, that's God prepared a place for me, and he's given me his spirit to call me until that moment. His spirit is that guarantee. It backs up the promise of heaven with a down payment. When you look at this, guarantee is an ancient Greek word that was used to describe a pledge or a partial payment was required until future payments would be given, and then that guarantee was legal claim to the goods in which was being questioned. In Greek meaning, is basically this. It's like an engagement ring. Given you this engagement ring, now you, and now there's going to be a wedding down the road now, because I've given you, this is my guarantee that we have something to look forward to. Does that make sense? That's what the Holy Spirit is for us, is what Paul's saying. He's our guarantee until eternity comes and we're in the presence of God. So many Christians, you know, we experience great blessings from the Holy Spirit right now, don't we? If you woke up this morning and you're breathing, you got here, that's the first blessing you received. So thank God for that one, okay? But when we consider how glorious the down payment is, we should consider how awesome the whole gift is going to be. Think about that. The presence of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life gave him confidence. It assured him that God was at work in him and would continue to work in his life. So that's why it's important for us to pray for God's Spirit to be at work in us. 
God, I need your spirit working in me today. I need that confidence. I need to get my mind set on things above, not on things on this earth. Last week, we, we talked about that. We uh, shared a scripture from Colossians where we said that we need to get our mind set on heavenly things, to set our minds on things which are above, not on the earth. Because when we put our, our minds on things on this earth, what happens? We can get pretty negative, can't we? It's in those difficult times that God's Spirit's at work in us. We set our mind on things above and not on things that are on this earth. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, this upcoming week because what I also do, a lot of you know this, is I, I'm full-time with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's one of my jobs. And so, like this week, I'll be going in and speaking to different teams. And this morning, I was looking out, and I was thinking, well, Delta Volleyball and Wauseon Volleyball team and Delta Middle School Football team was represented. Different coaches and players were here uh, that attend this church from those teams. And I know there's probably other teams here in this service, but those teams I know I'm going to this week. And I'll probably share the same thing with the basketball team this winter. But one of the things I'm sharing is from uh, an author. His name is John Gore, and his book is called uh, You Win in the Locker Room First. And I was reading there this there's research that was done by um, HeartMath Institute that says when you have a feeling in your heart, what happens is it goes into every cell of your body and then transmits and moves outward to about 10 feet away so that the people around you can sense what's going on in your heart. That's what research was showing, and he quoted this in his book, and I thought that's pretty interesting. But then I saw it last uh, yesterday when we were leaving uh, Taylor saying goodbye to Colin and Carter, and I'm looking at other parents, and they're hugging their kids, and some of them are crying, and I'm looking at other students who are returning back and seeing their peers, and they're excited and joyful. And So here's what's happening. When I'm looking at this family over here that's, that's upset and crying because they're letting their child go for the first time, it's maybe it's their first child, and I, I see what's going on there, I'm feeling it. It's like they're transmitting and broadcasting their sorrow and their, their, their sadness. And then I see these guys over here bouncing and jumping around all excited. Hey, good to see you again. Hey, I can't wait for the school year. And also, I feel joy. It's being expressed. And I'm sitting there going, that research is true, right? We see that. So what happens is every day we transmit and broadcast either negativity or we, translate, or we transmit that which is positive. Church, we're like a germ or we're like vitamin C. You know what I'm saying? We're contagious. The question is, what do you have that you're giving to somebody else? What are you passing on to somebody else? And here's the thing. That's why it's so important to know what Paul's saying is that he's given us his Holy Spirit because his Spirit is our guarantee and we can't give something away if we don't have it. You can't give away that positivity. You can't give away the joy of the Lord if you don't have the joy of the Lord in you. It begins internally. It starts that mindset in our heart. That's why Paul says, get your mindset on heaven, on heavenly things, not earthly things. Earthly things just bring you down, and you're going to walk around, and you're going to be like a germ. Get your mindset on heavenly things like vitamin C, and boy, you're going to be a boost to other people. Now, as we look in the scripture, I was thinking like, man, how do, we, how do you apply something like that? So again, uh, I praise God for my wife. She, she came up with a fantastic idea last week, and she shared it with me, and she said, let's, let's do this. And it's like, let's do it. I love it. I wish I would have thought of it. Uh, we have a family text. So when we sometimes we'll, in our family text, we'll send stuff out like when we're on vacation. We send a picture, and everybody gets in our family. We're just like, oh, that's awesome. Her thought was this. Every night before we go to bed, family text, what are you thankful for today? 
Because now, you know, we're spread out. So it's like last night, getting ready for bed, boom, the phones go off, text message, and here it is. Colin shares what he's thankful for. Carter shares what he's thankful for. Clay shares what he's thankful for. Jenny shared what she's thankful for. I shared what I'm thankful for. And I just got five minutes of incredible blessings. My mindset was in the right place. I needed that. I encourage you, things like that, do it. Because here's the thing, your mind is like a garden. What you plant is what you're going to reap, and, and what, you're going to, what you sow is what you're going to reap. Listen, if I want beans in my garden, I put beans in there. If I want corn, I plant corn. If I want tomatoes, I don't plant watermelon seeds. Make sense? Some of us are surprised by what comes out of our life, but it's like, well, what did you plant? If you're a negative person, are you really expecting joy in your life? You're not planting the right things. And here's the thing then. God gives us his spirit, and his spirit is sort of like the, the, the sun and the rain that nourishes what's been planted. It is what transforms the seed into a plant. It is what transforms our life to be like Christ, God's spirit. So therefore, I'm encouraging you, plant the right things and let Christ, his Holy Spirit, transform you into who Christ is. And when, as far as weeds come up, now you all know if you've got a garden or a flower bed, you don't have to plant weeds. They're the uninvited who always show up. And you have people who will uninvitedly show up and put negativity in your life. You have just things that happen in life that are negative that show up in your life. You have temptation. You have sin in your life. Those are the things that we are responsible for weeding out. And it can be difficult at times, but that's why it's so important to make sure you plant, plant, plant the right things in your life. So going back to Scripture, I've been talking about is my mind set on heavenly things. We are at home. Paul's saying, I'm at home in this body. I am okay with it. But to be absent from this body is to what? To be present with the Lord, Paul says. In that immediate, glorious present. So he says, but until then, so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by faith, not by sight, is one of the most greatest, difficult Christian principles there is in living out your faith. It really is. One author said, it must amaze the angels that we live for, serve, and we're willing to die for a God that we've never seen. Yet we love him and live for him, living by faith, not by sight. Church, I encourage you. Walk by faith means to, to make faith part of your daily activity. Just like you get up and you walk from place to place, get up every day. Plant what you need to plant into your life that is spiritually good. But because Paul is confident of his eternal destiny, he's not afraid of the world beyond. In fact, he's well pleased just to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He's like, man, I could go for that too. I am so okay if I die right now and I go into the presence of God. He's okay with that. And when he says this, I love it because what he says here proves two doctrines to be false that a lot of people believe today. Here's the first one, soul sleep. You've maybe heard that before. Some people believe that, that when the, the dead are there, they're in some sort of sustained uh, animation until the resurrection occurs or just their soul sleep. Okay? Scripture, this scripture especially, proves that that is a false doctrine. Purgatory is another one that is false doctrine. Saying that purgatory is basically believing the dead must be cleaned up and they're held in purgatory through their own suffering until they can come into the presence of God. That's not in the scriptures. And this basically teaches against that even thought of that. Paul says to be present with the Lord. This is what makes our heavenly home really heaven, to be in God's presence. So we long, as Paul's saying here, to be present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, 
It says this in verse 23 and 24. Paul goes, I'm torn. I'm torn between these, these two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sake, it's better that I remain here. Paul's like saying, I would love just to be gone and just be in the presence of, of, of Jesus Christ. But you know what? God's called me for a purpose to be right here. And church, this is where we are until Christ calls us home. We're not in a new heaven and a new earth as described in Revelation. Whether we're in an immediate heaven, it's not purgatory, it's not a holding pen, it's a place of eternal life with Jesus Christ, which awaits the return of Jesus Christ to earth, and then our bodily resurrection, the final judgment, the creation of the new heaven and new earth. And it may seem a little strange and hard for you to grasp all that I just said in the last 30 seconds. Let me say this, good. Like, what? I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again because of what you just said. Yes, good. Because what did Paul say? Let me go back to 2 Corinthians 12. He said, whether I was in the body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know this. I was caught up into paradise. And I heard things so astounding. They can't be expressed in words. I was there. I saw it. I can explain it to you. I can't explain it to you, Paul says. So when I'm trying to explain it to you and you're saying that doesn't make sense, good, because it didn't make sense to Paul. He couldn't even explain it. So let me give you an illustration that really helped me grasp hold of what I'm trying to tell you here. I read a description and it's understanding of paradise and it sort of goes like this. Let's say we live in a homeless shelter here in Ohio, okay? We all live in this homeless shelter in Ohio. You and I just got word that we received an incredible inheritance, a mansion in Orlando, Florida. Sounding good so far, right? And what you're excited because we've all got family in Orlando. So here's the deal. We're going to go to Toledo. We're going to get on the airplane and we're going to fly to Orlando. Our destination is Orlando where we've got a mansion and we've got family waiting for us. And we are so excited. So we're on the plane in Toledo. We fly. And as we're flying, we land in Atlanta. You're like, why are we in Atlanta? Well, you didn't see on a ticket, but there's a layover here for a little bit. And that's okay because we got other family members in Atlanta. So we're going to hang out with them until our next flight is ready to go to Orlando. Now, if I were to ask you, going back to the beginning of the story, what is our original destination? Orlando, right? Our destination, eternity, is a new heaven and new earth. That's heaven. New heaven and new earth. Where we're at right now is Ohio. Atlanta would be like paradise. Orlando's new heaven, new earth. Does that help make sense to what I'm trying to teach here this morning? Paul mentions this layover, and so does Jesus Christ. They're fully aware that our final destination is heaven. But until then, that intermediate place, that paradise, what did Jesus say? Today you will be with who? With me in paradise. Isn't that blessed assurance? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 16. Luke, chapter 16. There's an incredible passage here. Dave came up to my sermon notes in between services, and he took a pen and he wrote part two. Um, and there's so much I want to share with you, and I'm thinking this, this might have to be a part two next week at the baptism. Luke chapter 16, I'm just going to share a little bit here. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Jesus said, there's a certain rich man 
who had splendid cloth, uh, splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores. As Lazarus was laying there for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs had come and licked his open sores. Finally, the poor man died, and listen very carefully, he was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at that heavenly banquet. The rich man also died, and he was buried. He went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance, and Lazarus was at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, he knows him by name, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of the finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted. You're in anguish. Besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. No one can cross from over to us from there. I'm going to pause there for a second. Last week I shared with you, when we die, your decision has already been made. We make our decision right now. Do you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Your faith in Jesus Christ puts you into eternity in heaven or not. It isn't when you die you get a second chance. Oh, now that I died and I see what hell looks like, I would never want to go there. So I would like to choose heaven. It's too late. Are you seeing this story? The great chasm separated them. And even this man who's being tormented in the heat and the flames, he's saying, hey, can you just send him over here? No, I'm sorry, there's a chasm. Nobody comes over. This is the way it is. Let's read on. The rich man said, please, Father, at least send him to my father's home. See, even though he's dead, he has recognition that there's a family history. He knows them. He still loves them. He's got emotions for them, right? He goes, I have five brothers. I want them to warm them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to even if somebody rises from the dead. In this passage, we discover that when we die, we go to a real place. And as conscious human beings with memories of our past, and our lives, and our relationships on earth, and knowing and acknowledging people by name. There is misery in hell, there is comfort in heaven. So upon our death, we are in paradise until Christ returns. When Christ returns, we are given new bodies. There's, there's judgment, we experience a new heaven, a new earth, and again, I fully understand uh, the mix of all the rapture and the tribulation and the millennium. That's Beside the point here, again, those, those things are debated about the order of how they happen, but they're discussed in God's word. What we know is that at this time, we are on the present earth right now is where we stand. And we know there's a new heaven and a new earth. Until Christ returns and sets up the new heaven and new earth, when I die, I'll be in the presence of God in paradise. I believe that to be true. Now, I'm going to put a couple of things on the screen real quick. And we'll touch on them next week. But this is what I want you to know about eternity. There is judgment. We will have new bodies, as I started to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There is a new heaven and a new earth. This is a real place, John 14, where there's reference to rooms. In my father's house are many mansions. And he goes, I go to prepare a room for you. 
in, in biblical times, the patriarch's house, the dad's house, the patriarch, if my son got married, I would add on a room to my house for him and his bride. And if my next son got married, I'd add on another room. And if my next son got married, I'd add on another room. This is what is being described of here in John 14. In my father's house, right, there are many rooms. And as everybody comes, people come to know Christ as their Savior, he adds on a room. We know heaven will be filled with other believers and they'll be from all nations. Our citizenship is in heaven, which means our loyalty to God will cause us at times to feel like strangers here on earth. People look at us differently, right? We learn that we eat in heaven. There's adventure, work, activities in heaven, sin, death, and sorrow. Gone. There'll be animals in heaven. Probably not cats, but there'll be animals in heaven. I'm still searching for that in scripture. I know it's there somewhere. It's just an opinion. I'm still seeking that one out. But anyway, again, I don't know it all. The cast being one of those issues. I don't know it all. And neither do the theologians. And these are things we're all learning. That's why I'm excited, but yet I'm hesitant in teaching this to you. Because I want to be fully studied. I don't want to know in part or teach in part. I want to know in full. And, And so we're dealing with something that isn't fully taught. So going back to the scripture, I want to close on this. I know last week I said, what about, what about people that have died? Will we know them? Will we recognize them? I'm going to say yes and yes. Absolutely. We can talk more about that next week. Matthew 17, uh, when the disciples went up with Jesus and the transfiguration took place, is a good place to start just in thinking about how somebody who comes from heaven, Old Testament, meets somebody from the New Testament, the disciples. They knew each other by name. They saw each other's bodies. They wanted to set up a tent. It wasn't like a disembodied figurement of a spirit hovering around. We're going to build a tent for you to stay in, Moses. We'd love you to be. We knew him by name. I believe that, yes, you will know you will recognize them. We can talk more about this um, moving forward. I'll close with this. I'm going to ask Dave to, to come up. Dave's going to, sing a, Dave's going to sing a song for us, and then we're going to sing the song together afterwards. But um, as he's coming up here, here's the thing. When our kids were younger, we would, we would go to Indiana all the time to see my parents. And um, there's something about, different about going home. And eating with the family and seeing everybody comes together. And there's always a smorgasbord of food. We play games. We hang out. We talk. And, and it was just so, it's such a good feeling to go home. And there, there's joy and family. And, and I remember one time, one of the mornings I woke up and I went out to the, the big room. There's a big picture window. It looks out into the yard. And, and I sat there and I was reading. And, and not everybody was up yet. People were still sleeping. I was reading. And, and Carter was just yay big. I mean, he was small. He, he got out of bed and he came in to where I was sitting. And he sat down right beside me and he just looked out the window. And, and I was reading. I didn't say anything. And he just kept looking. And he, he stopped and he said, Dad, it seems like the grass is always greener here. And I was like, it does, doesn't it? There's something about coming home. It's like the grass is greener. The food smells better. Things taste different. I believe that to be about heaven. This isn't our home. Heaven will be. And I do believe the grass is greener in heaven. And I believe the colors and the smells are different. I believe as 
precious for so many reasons. To see those who have passed away before us that we miss so dearly, we're going to see them. There's going to be a family reunion. We're going to greet men and women from the Bible that we've read about, those heroes of faith, those who stumbled and and got things right with God. We're going to meet them. We're going to walk the streets of gold. We're going to see the pearly gates. We're going to see the angels at the throne of God worshiping. We're going to be in the presence of God, and we're going to be at the feet of Jesus. That's what makes heaven so precious. Oh, to be in the presence of God as Adam and Eve experienced. We all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and we will shout with victory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and worship you today and to open up your word and to search and to seek what you have to say about life eternal, to know that there's a paradise and that as you told the thief on the cross today, you'll be with me in paradise. It gives us hope and the confidence that you gave Paul. And right now while we're on earth, you've given us your spirit to help us as a guarantee to to make it through each day. Lord, help us to set our mind on heavenly things. Help us to plant the right things in our life. And when that day comes and we leave this this earth, we know we're going to be in your presence. Whether it's because we've passed away and we're in your presence or because you've returned to take us to a new heaven and a new earth. God, right now while we're here, we need to make sure that we've got things right with you and that people we love have things right with you too. So God, help us to share truth and love with those that we know, our family, our friends. Because we love, we'll tell them the truth. That the truth will set them free. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. In the name we pray. Amen.